0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Closet and Pocket Podcast, where I cover everything you can wear on you and carry with you. My name is David, and I want to thank you so much for joining me here on this latest episode of the show. So we're now well into the second season, and I've got a great topic lined up for you today. But before we get into that, I just want to go over the usual promotional notes. The first is that I have written a book. Uh, It's on how to start a podcast for very little money. So if you listen to my show or anyone else's, and think to yourself, hey, I want to do that, I just don't want to invest a ton of money up front, this book is the one for you. Uh, It's very easy to access. It's a Kindle book exclusively, so as soon as you buy it, you will have access to it, and I'll leave the link uh, to the Amazon Kindle book in the show notes. The second link is for Fiverr. Now, Fiverr is not sponsoring me directly, but if you sign up as a first-time buyer through Fiverr, uh, through the link I leave in the show notes, I will get a a certain amount of money from them to support the show. Uh, If you haven't heard me before, uh, Fiverr is a great tool for improving your productivity. It allows you to outsource things that you maybe don't want to do or maybe you're not so good at for a very low price and allows you to focus on what it is that you're good at so that whatever project you have in mind uh, comes out as well as possible for your customers, for your listeners, your clients, whoever. So please do check that out if you haven't already. And the final link similar to uh, Fiverr, it's not a... um, sponsoring company, so I'm not sponsored directly by them. But TransferWise is a phenomenal service if you have to uh, move money uh, in different currencies. So if you had to do this before via traditional banks, it's slow, it's expensive, uh, you don't get the exchange rate, you usually charge the percentage over that TransferWise does away with a lot of these hassles. I've used it extensively in the past. I have enormous amounts of confidence in the service. So if uh, if you do find yourself having to deal with moving money, uh, even on a not so regular basis, and you just want to take the headache out of it, I highly recommend TransferWise. And again, I'm not sponsored. Uh, but if you do sign up through the link uh, in the show notes, I may receive um, a contribution from TransferWise, and that again goes to supporting the show. So with that. Let's just go ahead and uh, get started on the topic of today's show, which are my thoughts on buying used. Sustainability is a term that gets thrown around a lot today. While I think everyone shares the same sentiment behind using that word, you know, that's to say that we all want to be good stewards of our environment, I don't believe any two people have the same definition for what quote, sustainability actually implies. In fact, and someone please do correct me if I'm wrong on this but I'm not aware of any rigorous guidelines in place for what constitutes, quote, sustainability in the context of what I cover in this show, specifically clothing and gear. Despite that, I think we can all agree that even without a definition for sustainability, the less we consume, the better off the planet is. But there is fun in consumption. That's the entire point of this podcast, and presumably that's why you're tuning in. The key is to consume thoughtfully, and the used market plays a big part in that. I know from experience, though, that people can find this daunting or off-putting. So taking the leap from what we're all uh, trained to do, uh, or trained to think, which is that new equals better, is difficult. But I also know from my own experiences that once you get the hang of it, uh, buying used can unlock a world of value and choice to the point where something you might have been wary of before actually elevates your consumption habits like you could have never imagined, all while being, yes, indeed, more sustainable. To lay this out for you, I'll spend the show first laying out more of my thoughts on sustainability and its closely associated sibling minimalism, and then I'll spend uh, a certain amount of time contrasting the terms of used and vintage, because understanding the differences will be crucial to you if you want to move away from buying new all the time, and of course, getting the most bang for your buck. All right, I hope you're comfortable because it's time to get going and hear about why I'm so passionate about buying used. Since there's no set definition for sustainability, for the purposes of the show, I'll say it involves the minimization or elimination of waste and externalities. Now, that's going to be perhaps controversial because to some it might sound too simplistic. Uh, To others, it may sound too complicated. So let's think about this for a moment. Generally speaking, you can establish three points in a product's life cycle at which there can be waste generation. The first, of course, is the production of the product itself. Waste generation here can be heavy if you take just a moment to think about it. In clothing, an often cited example is jeans, uh, because cotton is very resource intensive to grow, and it takes a lot of uh, water to to achieve certain washes. And then, of course, the jeans might be made in countries where worker protections are low. So you have uh, a waste issue and you have a moral issue here just in the production of the item alone. Then the second part is, of course, during the use of the product itself. Uh, an example I came across recently is that of synthetic fabrics uh, and cotton blends, since they can shed microplastics during wash cycles uh, and even during regular use. So just in, in the course of your regular use, you can have these plastic particles uh, falling off whatever it is that you're, uh, you're wearing or using. And Then finally, of course, is at the disposal of the product. So again, to reference the microplastics, if you throw a whole garment away... That's a much more substantial introduction of those microplastics into the environment than just through normal use. And then just with regular garments, uh, surely we've all by now seen pictures or videos of piles of discarded clothes just sitting in landfills or destined for the incinerators. So with those three uh, steps in mind, going back to my original, admittedly, perhaps quite simple definition, we see that the most effective way of reducing waste and externalities is actually just to stop it at the source and not produce at all. On one hand, I know that's preposterous, but that simple conclusion is also pretty profound. Think about all the established companies now touting their efforts at sustainability, or indeed new companies whose entire pitch to consumers is their, quote, sustainable approach, end quote. Now ask yourself, how is that not a paradox? If you're putting any new products out there, almost inherently you are creating waste. You are not completely managing externalities, and you're not able to account for the fact that some of your consumers may in fact end up throwing your products away. Again, though, not producing is not realistic. Buying nice things can be fun when done properly, and I want to elaborate on that point by giving a few of my thoughts on a a school of thought that's been gaining steam for some years now, uh, certainly in the US, and that's minimalism. the movement of minimalism is captured well in documentary, which is called, appropriately enough, uh, minimalism. So it was put on by two friends. Uh, I think it was quite successful on Netflix, and main facts will be there. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, but it comes as a response. So the, the, the two um, kind of friends linking up and then the documentary itself comes as a response to the mass consumption movement of recent decades. Uh, the impact that this has had continues to have on the environment. Uh, and on our mental health and daily lives. It sounds uh, quite uh, far-fetched, right? Like, How can the stuff we buy actually affect our mental health? But the idea behind minimalism is that you unburden yourself of as much, quote, stuff, uh, and I'm putting that term nicely because other people would have kind of a, a more harsh term for it as possible, leaving only what you absolutely need and use, The hope is that by achieving peak minimalism, you'll reach a state of feeling completely unburdened and and be free to enjoy your life more fully at that point. The trouble, in my opinion, is that, ironically, this is a maximalist approach uh, to an aim that is, to be fair, on its face, completely understandable. So in America, certainly, if you're not giving something your all, it's as if you weren't really doing it in the first place. Think of those who aren't satisfied with just going on a light jog every day for the health benefits. You know, they feel that if they have to train, they might as well train for a marathon or a triathlon, or otherwise the effort doesn't mean anything. And so it goes with minimalism. The truth is that objects and things can make us happy. And this is a nice segue into what what made Marie Kondo um, and her does it spark joy approach so popular. I think this became so popular because while her approach does encourage paring down, it's not about cutting things out of your life for the sake of it. If you like collecting boots and you have 200 pairs and all of them make you happy in some way, by all means, keep all of them. That's the message I get from Marie Kondo. The idea is that you want to cut stuff out of your life That doesn't make you happy. So you can focus more intently on your boot collection, for example, or your watch collection, or whatever it is whose ownership makes you proud and happy. It's not about getting down to one pair of boots because minimalism tells you to. It's about keeping that amount of boots that makes you happy and no more. If that's 200, great. If it's 500, great. It's completely subjective and up to you. In this sense, uh, minimalism is not. Uh, totally incompatible with cutting production, but it's also, in my mind, uh, equally unrealistic. So, even though the idea is good, in practice, it's not going to work. You know, sure, the mental model that we should cut production ideally to zero is compatible with minimalism. But in the real world, where I and people like me do, in fact, take joy in a new watch, sweater, or whatever, it's not workable. What I find then is that Marie Kondo represents not minimalism, but a term that I'm coining here, which is suitableism. That is to say, being okay with the idea of consumption, but only doing so after you've done the hard work of figuring out what you like, while squaring that away with the goals of reducing waste up front, while pushing the disposal act as far out as possible, if you even have to dispose of the item at all. Now I know, this was a little bit long-winded, but this is where the attractiveness of the used market really starts to shine. So let's look at an important aspect of the used market, how to look at, or not, uh, this this, uh, particular subset of gear and clothing through the lens of another often used term, which is vintage. The distinction between used and vintage is something I've already covered last season in part one of my two-part series entitled Vintage Watches or Bullshit. But the distinction between vintage and used is crucially important in how I approach purchase decisions outside of traditional direct retail channels. And this is why I want to go more into it in this episode as well. To me, the difference between used and vintage is that the former term is objective while the latter is subjective. And to me, it's no more uh, difficult than that because to ascribe, something, uh, to ascribe the term used to something is just to say it's not new. That's it. To say something is vintage, however, is to ascribe to that object all the positive qualities that word is now associated with. This could be, for instance, a nice patina. It could be exclusivity, and I think this has been a huge part of the uh, rise in vintage watches over perhaps the last decade. Uh, and in some very rare cases, vintage may denote better performance, but this is rare. The only example I could think of would be uh, vintage guitars. So here, some guitar players swear that early 60s models of Stratocaster sound better than newer models. Uh, I do play guitar, I don't know enough to pass judgment, uh, but for the most part, when you're looking at a vintage object, Objectively speaking, it should not perform as well as a a newer one simply because it's older. Now, if you're still not convinced of the distinction between used and vintage, what immediately comes to mind when I say used car? Okay, now what about when I say vintage car? Today, vintage is highly sought after, and you can see this in the nutty prices for vintage watches and old tour t-shirts. And in fact, no less than Virgil Abloh freaked a lot of people out recently when he said that streetwear is on its way out and will likely be replaced by people gravitating towards archival clothing, which let's be honest, is just a fancy fashion-approved way of saying vintage. As for me personally, I have a deep-seated distaste for hype, which I think does a lot to keep me from chasing vintage as a trend. Beyond that, though, more practically, I think that stepping into vintage is like walking into a viper's pit of dishonesty. Think about it. You are asked to pay a huge premium for used goods that have already exhausted a substantial portion of their lifespan. And in any market where there's high demand, and this is created because of the positive qualities associated with the word vintage, there is bound to be fraud and deceit. Also, if you look at this from a sustainability point of view, what's going to have the greatest impact? Going after a limited set of vintage pieces, which probably don't have much versatility in the context of your whole uh, wardrobe, or the enormous volume of used clothing, or even new with tags clothing, that just by virtue of being last season, or having been worn once or twice, ends up on eBay, grailed, or if you're willing to search for yourself, the goodwill racks. For me, the sweet spot in value then really does lie in used, and frankly, it's not so much a spot as it is a vast universe. Plus, this is where you get to have a direct impact on sustainability, and I don't mean that by buying into some company which is producing more goods uh, which are, according to them, sustainable, but this is affecting sustainability through your own consumption habits. By buying used... Uh, you cut out the need for new production. And hopefully, you buy high enough quality stuff that you won't want to get rid of it. But if you do, you'll not only be more motivated just to pass it down uh, or sell it on, uh, you may actually, in fact, get some money out of it. So now that you've heard me outline why I'm so passionate about the used market, I want to go into the main caveat around this, which which is that you really do have to do your homework. So Used clothing uh, does have the upside of being able to elevate your, uh, your consumption habits, elevating the impact that you have on sustainability. Uh, it also has the advantage of really separating you and allowing you to tell yourself that you know exactly what you're doing when it comes to gear and clothing. So I'm gonna cover that in the next section. Uh, let's cover the, the homework required to get really deep into the used market. The trade-off you make when you venture out of the malls and away from the dot-com websites really is one of time for money. You really do need to do your homework beforehand or otherwise you'll buy things you're not satisfied with. Uh, You'll waste money and this may in fact even turn you off of buying used forever. So you're robbing yourself of uh, potentially great opportunities to get excellent stuff uh, but also make as much of an impact on sustainability as you can. I think that Keeping in mind this trade-off, or rather keeping in mind people that don't care about that trade-off, is why streetwear and its ascent um, in its current form frustrates a lot of people, perhaps even Virgil Abloh. Think about the term uh, hype beast. You know, This is applied to people who care nothing about the heritage or context of a given brand or item. They just want to have what's, quote, hot, uh, unquote, at any moment in time. And to the extent that these pieces are also the ones that go for crazy money on resale, the assessment of a hype beast that this is someone that has access to cash, sure, uh, but no taste, definitely. You see this a lot in the watch community, especially recently with certain prices uh, for Rolex and uh, Patek Philippe, or at least specific models under those brands. It's to this point now where the fact that these, wa- these watches are basically... Um, investment vehicles. They're not really watches. And this has definitely affected people's view of not just the watches themselves, but of people who wear those watches. The assumption now is that anyone buying perhaps a Daytona or a Nautilus uh, is that they are only doing it to flip the watches. They don't really know anything about the heritage behind them. They've just heard this is a good deal. Uh, They don't care to discover anything more about the brands. And uh, by buying these watches, they're actually making life more difficult for people who genuinely appreciate the watches and just want to have them on their wrist because they like the Daytona or they like the Nautilus or the Aquanaut or whatever. Now, do I think that someone has to be a watch nerd to own a Daytona? No. But with a minimum of research, you would find actually that there are other perhaps even better watches for far less money. The flippers don't do the research, and they drive up the price for the true watch geeks and aficionados. There was a great article in GQ, actually, uh, just recently, which I'll link to uh, in the show notes that discusses this phenomenon in the context of Virgil Abloh's predictions on the death of modern streetwear. Essentially, it says that we've all been trained uh, to favor new over old, and Closely related to that is that we follow trends. So trends come and go, they introduce novelty, and that's what we have been trained to follow. Nowhere has that been more evident than in modern streetwear, where all you have to do to flex on Instagram or the person that's out on the street walking by you is to whip out your credit card. The downside is that someone else will always have more bank than you. So what are you really achieving or, or demonstrating? It's it's uh, kind of an endless cycle where you're buying more stuff that you might wear once or twice and then it's gone when the next trend comes around. The logical conclusion of the article, so um, Rachel Tashjohn I think is was the author on this one, but her conclusion is that buying vintage inherently means that uh, people will to a minimum extent be forced to develop their own style. After all, you know, vintage is a broad term, and supply for any given vintage piece is limited. So it's not the same as everyone rushing out to buy a box logo hoodie. Uh, if archival clo- clothing really is going to make a comeback, I think what's also going to make a comeback is um, the research that people have to do to understand, okay, what is it that they like? What is it that actually works for them? And then what is it that's out there that's attainable? So in this sense, I think, um, the industry would be going in a good way in the direction of sustainability. Also, I'll say just on the subject of GQ, if you look at the articles that come out as kind of a harbinger of what's coming next, and certainly that was the case when the hashtag menswear movement started in the uh, late aughts, early teens, uh, and then the current menswear movement came about, uh, certainly you started to see things bubble up in GQ, and right now I think that vintage and used is certainly... Um, making an appearance. So yeah, this article I'll link to, there was another feature in the current issue of the print magazine on how to buy and specifically how to buy used. So if GQ is uh, any indication, I do think that this is something we're moving towards. And ultimately, I think this is great because we're moving away from buying new for newness's sake and buying things that uh, would otherwise be thrown out, but also have Great, great value, and I should say, from my personal point of view, even though the author was speaking of vintage, certainly this applies to used. I mean, yeah, finding a torte is great, but finding a used, you know, Ralph Lauren polo shirt or a Ralph Lauren sweater that's only been worn a couple times—that definitely has value as well. And I think that's how I'm going to close out the show is uh, by demonstrating just how much value you can get if you do your homework, if you understand your style and you know what's out there. So let's go ahead and close out the show with a couple of uh, the most recent used pickups that I am most proud of that have, de- that have delivered just an insane amount of value for me. All right, so here is where the rubber really meets the road. This is where I tell you some of the excellent, excellent pickups uh, that I've acquired by going, going through eBay, going through Grail, doing the work, and just coming out really, really satisfied. Now, a couple caveats to start with. The first is that clearly my style is going to be different from yours. Uh, I'm almost 36 years old. i veer relatively conservative. Uh, There's definitely some pieces I like to have a lot of fun with. Buying used does allow me to do that because it takes a lot of the financial impact out of it. But certainly, if uh, you're looking to get like the latest pair of hot Jordans, this is probably not going to be much use to you. So just that caveat there is that my style is relatively down the middle. It is not hype. I think that's the point. And uh, that allows me easy access to a lot of things um, on these online marketplaces. The second thing I need to say is that even though most of this is used, there are some cases where it's kind of like dead stock or new with tags. And you will find that. Uh, You will find that there are cases where it's technically new, I guess, because no one's one's used it before. uh, But it's being discounted because it's going through like a gray market channel or whatever it is. So I'm using used a little bit. Uh, loosely here, but I just want to be completely honest with everyone that uh, some of these items were not used, used. They were just kind of new with tags, used, if that makes sense. All right. So the first uh, kind of category I want to go into are dress shirts for work, uh, specifically Ralph Lauren button-down dress shirts. Now, I'm probably going to go into uh, Ralph Lauren later this season uh, in the similar way that I went through uh, Tommy Hilfiger, and I think it was the first episode of this season. So Ralph Lauren, has had a huge impact on me personally. Everyone who's into menswear probably started with Ralph, and if they didn't, uh, they still have a place in their heart for Ralph. And uh, Ralph Lauren, I think, makes some really iconic uh, dress shirts for The Office. And it just so happened that I had watched uh, the documentary on HBO late last year called Very Ralph, uh, which really, really got me excited about the brand again. And this was at a time when I had been looking to update and refresh my collection of dress shirts. Trouble is that if you go to RalphLauren.com, you will see that dress shirts are probably $80 to $100 and then they go up from there. Uh, Could I afford it? Sure, I could, but I certainly wouldn't be buying more than one at a time. It would take me a long time to build up a collection. So what did I do? I went on Grailed, I went on eBay, and you can find these shirts all day, all day, for probably around 20, 25 bucks with shipping included. Now you do have to be a bit careful. You definitely have to know your size. You have to make sure there's no rips, tears. If there's stains, uh, you wanna make sure they're light. Personally, I just veer away from stains at all. Uh, I try and get as clean an example as I can get. Uh, and then as soon as I get these shirts in, I take them to dry cleaner. And the punchline to this is that I've probably got 15 new shirts at this point, and they run the gamut from just very plain, kind of solid blue colors to some fancier uh, checks and plaids to some thicker chambray shirts. And I think all in, it's probably like maybe 300 bucks, right? So if you think of the price of three shirts from RalphLauren.com, for that I was able to get an entire wardrobe and then some. And even now, these shirts are so cheap that every couple weeks, I'll just be like, huh, I wonder what's out there. I'll throw another one in my eBay cart, and just my collection builds and builds and builds. So that's just been an absolutely uh, excellent set of scores. And I would recommend that if you're looking for something super iconic uh, that everyone recognized in the office, I mean, that Polo Polo logo is very well known because it is so iconic. I, I just cannot stress enough that eBay and Grailed are, are the place for you to go. And actually, you know, while we're on the topic of Ralph Lauren, uh, another thing I've gotten my hands on are polo shirts. Now, I don't wear these as much. Uh, usually, if I'm casual, it tends to be t-shirts. At the office, I tend to shy away from polo shirts. But I think that having a couple around in various colors, so some darker colors if you're going to dress them up, some more bright colors like... Um, You know, the teals, the turquoise, the bright oranges, just very traditionally summer colors. I think it's always good to have a collection of those around. And again, you can find these on Grail and eBay for, uh, yeah, 15, 20 bucks and just very, very clean examples. And actually, even even though I'm not a huge fan of the uh, vintage aesthetic, right? um, I do think that a nice, like, faded polo shirt. That still has life left in it is really really appealing and that's what you tend to find when it comes to polo shirts so the dress shirts if they've been well taken care of are going to be quite vibrant the polo shirts have usually been thrown on the wash and it, that gets you just a nice like muted softness to it to it which i really really like so i've probably picked up probably call it maybe five six polo shirts and i think i'm good now as far as a as a minimal collection of uh, of this very iconic piece I will say though you do need to be careful, and this is where homework is crucial again, because polo shirts come in various cuts and materials, uh, and sizes. So I tend to favor the mesh. I'm not a huge fan of the performance fabric, uh, and also the classic fit small is still quite big. So I tend to gravitate towards the um, the custom fits. But then if you're going to do custom fit, you need to know to size up one. And unfortunately. I was caught on this. Uh, My sister ended up being the lucky beneficiary of some way too small polo shirts for me. Uh, But since then, it's been smooth sailing. Uh, And again, I highly recommend you check out Grailed and eBay. But uh, worth noting, though, that you probably should just buy one to start with, even if it is cheap and kind of beat up, so you can at least get an idea of what your sizing is going to be on these, uh, these items of clothing. The other thing I just picked up recently... And this is probably also going to be the subject of a, of a more in-depth show, but it's a sweater from Abercrombie & Fitch. Now, I know everyone's thinking, Abercrombie, like who is this guy to tell me what to wear? This stuff is old. Clearly, he has no clue what's going on if he's wearing a brand that stopped being cool 10 years ago. Here's the thing with Abercrombie, though. I think that in its current form, uh, after taking on the head men's, or the, I guess the previous head menswear designer for Club Monaco. I think that from a design point of view, they have really turned a corner. So there's some interesting stuff just new in the stores right now. I think also it's great value. It's on sale a lot of the time. Okay. But if you look back at some of the older pieces, so I'm talking 10 years back and before, you cannot deny that this stuff is phenomenally, phenomenally well made. I mean, look, people gave, rightfully so, the brand and the CEO flack uh, during the heyday of the brand But let's be honest, if you take out the highly, highly branded and honestly, like offensive pieces, there was some really, really high quality there. So one example I picked up a couple months back is a beautiful, perfectly faded uh, denim work shirt, which is one of my favorites to wear. Uh, That's something that uh, I will wear probably for years and years and years just because I love it so much. I picked that up for like thirty bucks. The most recent score I got, and this is going to fall into the category of newly, and I think this was actually new with tags based on the description. Or I'm sorry, new without tags based on the description. So this is from the current collection of the brand, but it's a forest green utility sweatshirt. So think of a regular crew neck, but with kind of a moleskin pocket on the uh, left chest side, and then some heavy canvas uh, elbow patches. So this thing just oozes quality from the pictures. It's 100% cotton, it looks super burly, I can dress this thing up, I can dress it down. And again, this just came from knowing that, okay, Abercrombie's probably got some great deals, I need to do a search periodically here and there, and I keep a running list of all these brands. So Ralph Lauren, Abercrombie, uh, Tommy Hilfiger occasionally, but I keep kind of running lists of things I'd like to buy. If they don't move very quickly, I say, okay, this is my time to make a move, uh, take advantage of it, and uh, and go for it. And this was a case where, even though I haven't received it yet, I've got super high hopes for this, and I'm just very excited to see what this piece looks like, and honestly, what future used uh, Abercrombie pieces look like if they do end up in my closet. So those are just a few examples, right? The Polo Ralph Lauren dress shirts, the polo shirts, and this uh, this very specific piece of Abercrombie clothing. But hopefully this inspires you to think about the things that you really enjoy wearing or carrying uh, that you maybe don't buy as much because they're so expensive. Uh, Check out Grail. Check out eBay. Check out, I mean, I haven't used it before, but check out Mercari. Um, You know, there's there's many, many market. First Dibs, I think, is another one. Just check out all the marketplaces. And remember that whatever new gear uh, is coming out, at some point there will be someone trying to get the newest piece of gear after that and is therefore trying to flip out of what they have. So if you can avoid the hype and uh, you're okay with doing a little bit of research, there's just tremendous, tremendous value out there. And with that, I'm going to close out this uh, latest show. As usual, I'd love to hear what you thought. Uh, Is the used market something you have experience with? If so, let me know. What are some of the great pieces that you've picked up at a huge discount from buying new? Uh, or are you on the other side of the fence, and this is just something that you don't think is for you? Uh, if so, you know, what are the reasons that are preventing you from dipping your toes into the used clothing and gear market? Either way, uh, please do let me know in the comments section of wherever you're listening to this, or you're welcome to drop me a line directly using the contact information uh, in the show notes. As usual, uh, if you have any thoughts on the show generally, I'd love for you to leave a comments, whether it's good or bad. I will do my best to take into account any feedback that you provide me with that you think will make the show better. Also, if you wanna be notified of when new episodes come out, please do hit the notification button of wherever you're listening to this to uh, be notified of when new episodes come out. With that, I wanna leave you. I wanna thank you again for joining me here on this latest episode, and I look forward to having you join me on the next one. Thank you so much, and take care.